Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. I'm Pat Mulroy, the supervisor of the World of Learning Institute. The World of Learning Institute provides virtual world language instruction and other courses like calculus and chemistry when it's difficult for a school or a district to find a teacher. We're here to talk to you today about asynchronous courses and we do that every day at the World of Learning, and we try to make that authentic, relevant, and engaging. So you can contact me, Pat Mulroy, at pmulroy at worldoflearninginstitute.com for more information. But today I'm super excited because I have Chris Davis and Olivia Grigan with me, and this is kind of a behind-the-scenes chat. Um, we do this every day, usually, whether it's in chat or if we jump in a Zoom call. Uh, but we've been digging in, listening to some student feedback, and really um, thinking about making asynchronous content engaging and relevant for students. And Chris has been doing this for a long time. Uh, and I'll let her tell you more about the passion for both building the content for students and adults. Um, she is the uh, wheels under Jolt. Jolt Ed, right, Chris? Yeah, pretty exciting little teacher PD program. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be, you know, that'll be a whole other one, but, you know, the whole building idea. So this is going to be a multiple part conversation um, because the conversations just keep going. Um, so, Chris, I'm just going to let you start. Tell a little bit about your experience. Sure. Thanks, Pat. Uh, I'm really glad to be here today with you and Olivia because, like Pat said, we sometimes get to do this by chat. We don't always get to do it in actual conversations. So it's nice to have this conversation and share it out. Um, my role is I currently work for IU8 as a virtual learning specialist. And although I don't work directly with the World of Learning Institute, I do cross paths with Pat, Olivia, and the teachers that are a part of that program. Uh, but I started as an art and digital media teacher in a rural middle school in PA. And after 12 years of that, I started kind of dabbling in building online courses for an outside organization and loved it. And so I kept doing that work on the side, building courses and pursued more education and training in that. And it eventually took a position, a full-time position with that organization as a trainer, later as a, a professional development director. And the, the whole purpose behind that part of my career was to help others develop their own online or blended learning experiences. And that has been the thread from that point on for me. So that's what I do now still with the IU is help others create their online uh, or blended uh, courses. And it has shifted a little bit now so that I do most of my work with um, developing professional learning for teachers and um, de developing that the online professional learning for teachers. And so I get to apply a lot of what I've learned about instructional design and, and adult learning to, to bring that uh, to the table for them. So it's been an interesting journey. Um, I met Pat when I started in that position of, of uh, being a trainer. So kind of neat that we stay connected I know I know that's been one of the really um, fun things and um, I said to one of our colleagues the other day how like kind of you know it's almost like a rubber band gets stretched out a little bit and you kind of do your own thing and then you come back and, but there's a yeah. small network of us who have been dabbling in this 
asynchronous kind of course building. You know, I started, like you said, met you back when you were a trainer. I was a high school principal and we were um, doing the classrooms for the future, kind of trying to figure out how, I think at that point was what we now call flipped classroom. So, yeah, so it's been a while, Chris, and it's been really fun and I've learned a lot from you and um, you've made some of my dreams come true in terms of (laughs) helping things grow. And then, and then along comes Olivia, you know, and Olivia's, uh, brought a whole new energy for me makes me love working and um, I'd like Olivia just to reintroduce herself here um, she's been with us a couple times but Olivia go ahead and tell us a little bit about your journey yeah thanks Pat so I have you know been on the podcast before so I'll take like a new angle to my introduction and think about my experience with asynchronous courses but my title like Chris is a virtual learning specialist at IU8 and I do work largely, if not sometimes feels like exclusively with the world of learning, which is nice because we get to go really deep um, into the, you know, the projects that we're pursuing, which often, um, you know, if I I had to give a percentage of how much of my day is spent in our asynchronous courses, it's daily and it's a high percentage. So I get to think about that every day. Um, But I started in as a public school teacher and as a U.S., as an American teacher in the U.S., I started in a public school in central Pennsylvania, like you, Chris, a rural school. Um, I was in the middle school and the high school at Tyrone Area School District. And my final year at Tyrone, the school district was piloting um, an adoption of a learning management system, which I believe since then they have fully adopted, which is Canvas. Um, and so I got to, I was part of that pilot group that got some sort of uh, initial training. And then we were given a lot of like freedom, um, and support because we were part of a, an initial group to just kind of try out, take whatever course we were teaching that we wanted to try putting some amount of content or learning or assessment or assignment in Canvas. And it was very, from what I remember, it was a very open, um, purview. And so at the time I was teaching a 12th grade psychology and sociology dual enrollment class. So it was psychology in the fall and social in the spring. And I decided to take that class and play around with that in Canvas. So it was five days a week in person. Students were my first period class. Um, I saw them every day. I had them for 45 minutes. So I had to think about, you know, what do I want the asynchronous course to be for that group of students? And I had a lot, like you, Chris, like getting in there and I like curriculum and I like lesson planning and I'm not a tech guru by any means, but I like new stuff. And I like um, (laughs) thinking about how something navigates and how it looks, you know, like what the student experience, even if it was like previously like a a worksheet or or an assignment, or I liked thinking about what it looked like, like the presentation for the students. So playing around with that in the virtual environment was fun because I could pull in images and I could link the images and make buttons. And um, I probably got carried away. I think you and I have talked about that before. (laughs) I got a little carried away on the aesthetic side of things. We all do. (laughs) <laughs> but I remember that I largely made it a, it, the way I viewed it is I was like, all right, this is where I'll house homework, right? Because who hasn't like lost something that a kid submitted? Or they say, I know I gave it to you yesterday. I put it on your desk and you're like, well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but I don't know where it is anymore, right? So mm-hmm. I'm just sharing that because I think my first iteration of an asynchronous course was just, this will be a great place to house and not lose homework. The warehouse. Yeah. And it is, I think it can be that, right? And, you know, since then I've 
learned more and been a little more critical about the role of homework within learning and even just what that means. But that that was where I started with asynchronous stuff. So Olivia, you jumped into our courses. I remember when you came to the world of learning early on, you weren't quite sure about how engaging virtual learning could really be. You you came with a lot of energy and enthusiasm and a, a little bit of skepticism. So for those of you out there who are listening today, um, know that Olivia has done a lot of work to make sure that <clears throat> what we do at the World of Learning really does face forward. So Olivia came to us and we had the 6E model that uh, Chris had been dabbling with as several of us. I mean, I think it was probably an iteration, like you said, Chris, of the, right. the organization we had worked in before and um, and we were looking to kind of, you know, always get better. And Chris really dives in and is a thinker and understands the theory. And I always respect that about you, Chris, that you have this, like, you're not just putting it up there because it looks pretty. There's a method and there's a reason and there's a, usually some type of foundation. So you want to just kind of talk a little bit. And maybe it's just like kind of about our iteration, how we got here. Yeah. Yeah, and they're really, I mean, really with every decision, there's always a reason. There's always a, a reason or purpose behind it. But actually bringing that to the surface, I think, was important. Um, so what we were looking for at the IU was because we support teachers from all different districts at all different levels and content areas, we needed a model that was pretty universal. We wanted to, to find a way to make it easier for people to develop online lessons that they could maybe share with one another, that they could pick and pull from. So we wanted those those lessons to have chunks or granular pieces. Uh, and we wanted it to um, be more than just a passive learning experience for the students. We wanted to help them develop lessons in a model that fostered some active engagement from the students, that they were interacting um, throughout that lesson. And so, like Olivia said, more than just homework or assignments, but actual learning experience. So instead of thinking it necessarily as a lesson, as a full, complete learning experience. And we settled on this model for our learning experiences that we called the six E's. It's a derivative of the five E's that's often used in science instruction. Um, that was from the BSCS model that was, that was developed prior to this. And um, our E's at the IU consist of a, a page or an activity that's engage, engaging to kind of launch the lesson, uh, an explore activity where we present the instructional materials, kind of the heart or meat of the lesson, an explain activity, something where the students can start to make meaning or make sense of through explanation that which they're learning. Um, an evaluative activity, something where students can kind of check their understanding, and we also get some formative data from that. An elaborate activity, so that's the fifth E, elaborate. That's where students actually demonstrate a skill or understanding. And then express. We saw that as a way for students to uh, reflect on either their learning process or the concept or skill or practice that they've learned. And so those were the E's that we um, 
grabbed and started to put into an actual um, model that we could share out with teachers for use in their own learning management systems. So the, like I said, that came from the science 5E model. We added that last E, which bumped it up to six, that express E. And we also modified the purpose of the E's a little bit, which I think is, is key that, you know, we customized it just to sort of generalize those E's since teachers in all different areas would be using this model. But I think it, the customization doesn't have to stop there. If somebody uses whatever model you come up with, whether it's five E's, six E's or your own, your own design, the ability to customize for the, for what you're trying to portray and for the learners is what, what makes the difference. So just because this is the model we've settled on doesn't mean it's the it model. It's what, where we've, it's what we've used. Right. And I, and I think just to kind of jump off that, I, I think one of the reasons that at the world of learning, especially when we first started, because when we came to the world of learning, we had zero content, right? We had to build everything fresh, which was a great opportunity, like no doubt, great opportunity. And now Olivia's kind of sitting in the quagmire of, all right, we have this, this model and, you know, have we been using it effectively, right? Um, and do we need to use all the parts all the time? And I just think for me, the predictability for kids in a course, like when we're never in the classroom with them. So for a classroom teacher, it could be very different. But because we're like away, especially for the youngest groups of kids or the first time they're in course with us, like having predictability about the expectations really takes away um, sometimes when technology becomes the excuse for not getting something done because it didn't work or I couldn't figure out how to turn it in. It's kind of the same thing. Like didn't just get lost on Olivia's desk. It got lost in the ether somewhere. And so, um, so I know Olivia came to the world of learning with lots of questions about how does this sixteen model. So, Olivia, you want to give us some of your? That just like fired off so many different directions for me, but I'll try. <laughs> I'll try to rein it in. I'm like. Um, I like the predictability. That's just a key word there for me too. You know, like how do you make? I've called it ease of navigation, which the, it becomes easy for students to navigate something when it's predictable. And I think predictability can have sort of a negative, like we're like, well, we want challenge. We want something new. We want students exploring. And I think we've been kind of talking about how do we make sure that our courses are <clears throat> predictable enough, follow enough of a template that students are not spending, wasting time, frustration on figuring out those um, Where, procedural or... questions. Yeah, how do I submit this? Where do I submit this? What do I click on? We get there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve at the beginning, but we want that learning curve to be as short and quick as possible, right? Because there's no reason to spend a whole lot of time trying to find something that's just maybe not intuitively you know, organized. So we've really, I think that's one of our greatest strengths. Like we have worked on our homepage and it has gone through an evolution process and we're going to continue to do that. You know, we're, we've got a new iteration that's about to come through, you know, in the next few weeks that we'll start for next fall. We want there to be as little 
this is going to sound funny from a teacher, but we want there to be as little thinking as possible in trying to find where stuff <laughs> is. It should almost just be like you go on there and you're just compelled to click on the right thing, right? Then on the other side of that, how do we resist formula and resist, maybe resist is not quite the right word, but how do we like invite and encourage our teachers to be creative and to be, and to not feel hamstrung or boxed in when it comes to creativity and our students, right? Like what you submit, um, the assignment, the thing that you create, the things that you produce, that those things feel authentic, that they're real world, that they don't feel formulaic. Um, not that there's no place for drills or no place for a worksheet, but that, t- that students feel like they can find what they need to find easily, but then they can submit something that's truly their own, right? Yeah, I kind of equate it to, if you think about the face-to-face classroom, uh, when I'm working with teachers, I draw the connection that every class, when, when a student steps into each classroom, each classroom has its own personality, its own style. The teacher has their own style. Every classroom is very different, but there are some some factors that are pretty consistent across from classroom to classroom. And a good example is like bell ringers. A lot of teachers use bell ringers, right? Now, how they use them, it differs wildly. We used to call them anticipatory sets. I mean, there's all different names for these things. In our virtual courses, they might be the engage activity that launches a lesson. And so the fact that they exist doesn't mean they have to be the same everywhere. It's just the thought around having some factors that we think are that should be a part of every learning experience, but how they're a part is what can be exciting. And Chris, I think when I'm sure this happens in the brick and mortar too. I was never in a leadership position in the brick and mortar, so I'm I'm seeing leadership first through the virtual world. But when you take that structure that you've created either collectively as an organization, top down as a leader, and you hand it to a bunch of teachers, right? And you scale it up, you know, in the brick and mortar, I remember, you know, being in a school where we were told everybody would have a word wall. And so we all put up word word walls, but there were varying levels of kind of buy-in as to why a word wall was there, or if it was important. Certain subjects, certain subjects were like, yes, like that. (laughs) And other subjects were like, "Eh, I mean, maybe it is good for my subject, but they didn't have that sense yet of where it fit in. And so, and same with the bell ringers. So I think that has been my struggle or my, and I mean, struggle in a good way. Like this is like my challenge. That has been my struggle in supporting teachers and building new courses is how do I provide enough structure that People don't feel like they're reinventing. They're not starting with, like I started with, which at the time was appropriate. It was a pilot, but I started with a blank canvas course, right? We give our teachers a shell. The homepage is set, the flow, the navigation, the linking of the pages is set, and you're filling in the spaces, but then also empower teachers that if there's something that doesn't quite fit for your subject or for that particular lesson, um, I had yesterday, I was meeting with teachers and one of them said, well, can you give me a model of that? And I have the model, like I've created it. So it's not, and I'm just in my head, I'm going, do I show it now? Do I hold? Do I say, it? you know, yes. they're asking for it. So I want to give it to them. But I also don't want to say that the way that I did it is like, I don't want that to become a, um, a formula the standard. to be replicated. Yeah. yeah. Right. I want to see what, what do you come up with? Right. We struggle. I mean, we think about that with students. Too. I think that's so good though, Olivia, to hear you say that because as a leader, like sometimes you say something and. I struggled with this because I, I'm an idea person. So I throw a million things out there and, and sometimes people would think, Oh, Pat wants us to do that. Right. No, no, no. That's my idea. It might be an awful idea. You can take that (laughs) idea and you can run with it, 
or you can switch it up. But like, sometimes I would say stuff and people would be like, well, you said, you said this. And it's like, you know, so I, I, I can relate to where you're coming from, Olivia. Like if you show it to them, then it's like, oh, well, this is the way Olivia said to do it. And like, really that whole idea of not stunting teacher creativity, because, you know, like I think about like our Japanese program and we have some teachers who are super structured and the kids absolutely are hundred percent successful. And then we have other teachers who are like YouTubers and they're entertaining and, and it's a whole different style. Right. Yeah. And neither one of them is better than the other. They're just who that teacher is. And, and those two teachers are two of our best teachers. And it's really interesting. I mean, we have some great teachers, but like, I think in that Japanese program, like they've been with me for a long time to watch that growth and and how how divergent it is and how successful both models can be because that's who the teachers are you know so i think it's just been really interesting to watch and i've enjoyed watching both of you chris and Olivia, really kind of go back and forth because <laughs> i st- i like when i started there were like all these words on the page it looked just like me tons of words you know and now our homepage is like like super crisp, very easy to understand. And, and I think about all the conversations that go back and forth, like you said, like you know, in Teams messages and everything. So, I think it's important are, too that we we remember that it's never really done or final, yeah. that, it, that it is an iterative process. And so the way you set up your course or the way you choose to design your lessons might be very different tomorrow than it is today. And that's okay, it evolves and it, and it changes depending on maybe what you're teaching and who you're teaching. Well, you know, that makes me think about, you know, Chris, you introduced me to the community model of inquiry. Um, and I think one of the things that knowing that there's this model of, you know, non, like what I would say, or, you know, and we've talked about are non-negotiables, like things that, you know, um, that need to happen in order for the course or the experience to have um, relatability. And I think if it's not relatable for kids, you know, they just kind of hand in whatever assignment. And, and I think you both know I'm really, really driven by that student idea, the model where a student's going to drive their instruction. Um, so does this that does the community model of inquiry kind of take us to a place where we kind of could have, you know, the student driving that and some of the non-negotiables that a teacher needs in order to make sure students are getting the whole experience. Yeah. So for context, if you think of the, the community inquiry model is, is if you picture like three circles that intersect in the center, um, one of those, each of those circles represents a different type of presence in a course and so, uh, or in a learning experience. And so one of those circles is uh, teacher presence, you know, the teacher being present in that asynchronous online course. Another circle is um, social presence, students being able to interact with one another and providing opportunities to allow that to happen. And then the third piece is cognitive presence where the students can feel like they can engage with the content and that it's relevant for them and that it um, promote some deeper thinking. And so when those three elements are present, then we know we have a full, a full complete learning experience. 
So I think that starts to form some of those non-negotiables. So, yep, we want opportunities for students to connect with each other. And yep, we want the teacher to be present, even if it's asynchronous. And yes, we want the content to be engaging and, and interactive for them. So yeah, I think that starts the conversation about what's non-negotiable for us and, and maybe for, for you all too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of as we wind down this part of the discussion today, um, Olivia, I wonder if you could just kind of cap us off, you know, as, as we close out this conversation and there'll be more to come, obviously, like this definitely just like the course building iteration doesn't end. You know, as we have teachers, adults, and, and students and learning interacting, you know, we find new ways to make it better. But um, Olivia, why don't you talk about your practitioner view and what you do? Yeah, well, the, I I think maybe Chris, you showed me that community model of of inquiry a while ago. But I feel like when we just talked a couple of days ago, it maybe it was the first time I was ready to really like you know, see it. And so it felt like a first time and it made me kind of start to ask, and this might be something for our listeners to think about. And if we have a part two, you know, we can kind of follow up too, but what happens if you take out any one of those three circles? I mean, that's the fun of Venn diagrams, right? Is like playing around with the different kind of mixing and those overlapping spots. And can you use that almost like a diagnostic when something's not quite clicking in a course to say, and it might not be that a whole circle is missing, like even in the most, um, well, in the most automated asynchronous courses where there's a computer grading, right? And there's no um, need for need, meaning like structural need, right? There's still probably a need, but <laughs> no structural need for teacher feedback. Um, then maybe there is a version of a course that is that is missing the teacher presence circle altogether. But in most environments, it's probably that all three circles are there, but one might be like not as strong or lighter, you know, sort of looser. a smaller circle. Yeah. Smaller. Yeah. And so just yeah. thinking about like, okay, let's say we have, you know, we've got the content and we've got the social environment, but we don't have the teacher. What does that mean? That's not necessarily a bad space, but maybe that's not, a, maybe that's not the complete learning experience. Maybe that's more of a social group or, you know, maybe that is something else that we have in our lives, but it's not our ideal for a, 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 learn, a community of learning. What if we have the social environment and the teacher, but the content is kind of a little light, you know, we're missing some of that presence. And I think that's like, an, to me, that's like a nice lens to look at any given course, learning experience, school year, classroom environment, you know, even the ones that I, I mean, the virtual ones that I get to be in, as well as thinking back, back on my time in the classroom to diagnose be missing something might not be gelling. You know what? I think this definitely does um, bode for another conversation that we can take a deeper dive. Um, and I think, you know, I'm super grateful for both of you, Olivia and Chris, that that you think about this every day. And you know, the name of the podcast, we do it every day. Um, we really do think about this in ways that I personally hold. Um, we can understand that the technology is there, that even a brick and mortar teacher, sans pandemic, no pandemic, say pandemic never happens, right? Teachers could still use the technology in ways that could create that learning community 
you know, like I think about for the shy kid who doesn't raise their hand in class, but they're more than willing to engage, you know, in a discussion. Like I think about our ASL courses where the kids look at a look at a video and they don't really know what's happening in that video, other than they have a couple key context words that are in their explore page. And when they go into the discussion prompt, they're really working with their peers in a way they might not work together with their peers in face-to-face in -face class. They might just put their heads in the computer and just look at those videos and navigate through and have a discussion with anybody when they're just trying to figure it out all alone. And we live in a collaborative yeah. world, you know, and I think about, you know, how our teachers are all across all across the US and that how much they collaborate. So I just want to thank you guys for, for lifting this all up and uh, being a part of, we do this every day. Uh, thanks for joining me. I hope you'll join me again. Will you both say yes? Yes, you got Sure. <laughs> While the record button's still going. Um, <laughs> we said it. Well, and, and this is formal, you know, we're recording it and I just want to thank you both very much and We'll share um, at the end of this in the show notes, we'll share that community inquiry model so you guys can dissect, listeners, you can dissect those three um, circles and make them work for you. So I hope you'll join us again at We Do This Every Day. And we've enjoyed learning with you today, Chris and Olivia, and we'll look forward to some more. Have a great day. Thanks, Pat. Thank you.